Welcome to the Luge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett and Dan Murphy. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on this new episode of LaRouge Rugby Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, and with me always is Derek Brissett. Now, Derek, we're going to talk about what was probably the most exciting game of the weekend because, really, the whole reason we do this podcast is to talk about Canadian rugby, and it was showcased in this game. The Toronto Arrows traveled to the Pacific Northwest, tore down the seawall, and beat the two-time MLR champions, the Seattle Seawolves. Yep. And then uh, the, uh, yeah, I just uh, you know it, it was great. This is definitely uh, you know probably one of the best games that Toronto Arrows have ever played, uh, which was great to see. And I just honestly, I really, I really do just want to thank the Toronto Arrows and everybody that's a part of this organization for what they did on Saturday night because I really did not think anything could possibly make me feel better about the Toronto Maple Leafs losing to a 42-year-old Zamboni driver. Um, but they managed, they managed to make it, make me uh, put a smile on my face within, uh, within two hours of that horrendous incident happening. Although, uh, it's kind of, I mean, on the other side of it, it's kind of a cool story, but you know, it just, just kind of makes you feel bad about that hockey team. So I would like to thank the arrows cause I was having a very, very bad night. And then they, they completely, uh, completely turned it around really quickly there. So I appreciate yes. it. God bless those men on the pitch and the men in the office because I was fuming that. I think my <laughs> wife had to leave the basement because she's like, you are not in a good space. And I'm like, no, I am not in a good space. I, yeah, I, exactly. I basically said to her, I am not cheering for these, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs anymore. I, I was so <laughs> mad. And I, a I, lot of people. Oh, gosh, it was so bad. And you know what? Yeah. I don't want to spend this podcast talking about it because I could spend hours talking about no, why I'm no. mad about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, but... No. Um, in this, this, this special Canadian Derby, as, as some people have kind of called it, um, the Arrows' best players were all non-Canadian, which was, which was very funny considering how many uh, Canadians were on the pitch. Mm-hmm. More Canadians than any other national, uh, nation. Um, Malcolm, Sam Malcolm had a fantastic game. And if he's, not, yeah. you know, if he's not on the starting 15 with MLR, then they need to just start over and never do it again. <laughs> You know, he, he scored, I believe, 24 points by yeah, himself. 20, just 24 points, uh, the six penalties, three conversions. And, and, like, and, and not all of them were, like, easy, too. Like, there was a no. lot of like, touch, touch line kicks mixed in there as well. So, especially, I mean, Dan Moore obviously had two tries. And usually when your winger scores a try, that means that conversion is close to the touch line. Um, so, you know, he, they, like, they weren't easy kicks either. Um, you know, the Seattle fans obviously notorious too for not making life too easy on the kicker. Lots of noise, lots of you know environment that um, you know maybe rugby players aren't necessarily used to. Um, just with the amount of noise that happens in Seattle during the kick, and you know Malcolm just you know the whole uh, you know heart of a lion, ice in his veins, all that. It's uh, everything that all his teammates always talk about. He was on full display during this game. Yeah, he just was so calm, which is such a good influence to have in your backfield. And uh, Richie Ayazada, he's been having a really strong season, and he just continued it. And this was his probably his best game of the season. Just 
rumbling and 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 and, and moving those strong legs of his and and continually to push uh, the tempo when he, whenever he got the ball. So I was really impressed by him and we yeah, were. He, he ended up with a uh, seventy-five meters on fourteen carries in this game, and uh, yeah, and uh, most of them got across the gain line too. So he uh, he had a uh, you know pretty pretty big impact with the ball in hand. I still think like as a prop, he has a bit of a unique running style compared to other props. I think he you know still sometimes has that little bit of uh, he can put on a nice little sidestep for you if it's you know if the moment uh, acquires it or requires it, and uh, you know sometimes he can also go straight through you too. So it's definitely. Uh, Definitely a solid, uh, solid offensive weapon to have with ball in hand. And you know what? Like, we we haven't seen the full this the, those steps yet. So uh, it will be really interesting to see if he continues to pull out his repertoire as the season goes along. And you know, Taylor Adams had a, another strong game, and uh, we were watching the uh, Canadian Women's Curling Championship, the Scotties. My my wife and I with some friends and. I just wanted to, I didn't, I missed the Dan Moore trice, uh, so I wanted to watch it again, and when I was watching that, the pass that Taylor Adams made to start Dan Moore's first try Mm. is so incredible that I had to stop, I I turned the other TV off, and I showed everyone the pass, and like, that is what makes this guy incredible, and that is why the Arrows are winning so much, and they all got mad at me, and I had to put the curling back on. Ah, uh, well, but, one, one, you need you need better friends that watch rugby over curling. Um, <laughs> but no, no disrespect to curling. No, curling is a very, uh, very passionately Canadian game, and this tournament is a huge deal. Um, but that being said, rugby is still the best sport in the world, so watch that instead. Um, and but yeah, it completely. You know, Taylor Adams just, you know, he he was outstanding in this game. He didn't, uh, you know, other than, you know, the phenomenal pass, he had one play where he sent like a, you know, just a little kick through to have the winger go chase. And he kind of did it like as he was getting hit, but I feel like he dropped the ball to his foot, like mid already taking this hit. And it was still a pinpoint kick somehow, some sort of like wizardry or however he managed to make that play. Um, which was outstanding. Uh, like you said, his pass on Dan Moore's try was outstanding again. He's done a handful of plays um, already this year where like made a couple passes um, just that kind of make your draw, jaw drop a little bit, um, either just being really big cutout passes or just the skill to get the ball away quickly. Um, so it's always great to see. But I think like the best element that he had um, in his game today was, or in his game against Seattle was just um, – just helping Toronto just completely control the territory in this game. Um, you know, he had um, eight kicks in play for a total of 225 meters. Um, and it's, you know, a lot of them were just, you know, Toronto. If when Seattle got down to Toronto's end, he was able to clear it and get the ball back out, put Toronto back in a good position. Uh, and, and, you know, just being able to also when Toronto was in a position to attack, um, he would be able to, you know, put a kick through that actually, you know, to help pin Seattle deep in their own end, in their own end. And for like a big chunk of this game was played um, in Seattle's half. Um, in total, Toronto controlled sixty percent of the territory throughout wow. the game. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Which which is quite uh, which is quite a significant number. Also having fifty six percent of this possession, um, and so you know, with with that, it's the, the you know the the arrows were able to. 
um, force kind of Seattle to be on like, you know, on their heels for most of the game. And a lot of that was just, you know, Taylor Adams, um, excellent kicking game was just kind of dissecting them. Um, there's a lot of balls that, you know, were bouncing that, um, the arrows could get their chase, uh, their kick chase down really quickly and Seattle wouldn't be able to counter attack, uh, well-placed balls to create, uh, uh, just for lineouts, just for that, uh, the territory in the field position um, as well. And, um, you know, on top of what we said, like all the other things that he did well in this game too, including setting up a couple tries. Um, so it's just, you know, the fact that the Toronto Arrows have Sam Malcolm and Taylor Adams really be, uh, it's quite the duo and, uh, you know, quite the, both the offensive and defensive threat. Because even at that, it was like, you know, like there wasn't a whole lot of Seattle kicks in this game that looked overly dangerous too, because it was either very well covered by um, either Malcolm or Adams as well. So, you know, both sides of the ball, they were both, uh, they were both great. And, you know, for our, for rounding out our top five players, I mean, we actually have a little bit of a, of a disagreement on who we would have here. You know, uh, I have a Thomas uh, De La Vega because I think that mm-hmm. uh, he had a strong game, um, especially in the lineup. And I think, I think the reason why I bring up the lineup is because it was it was a really big problem in the first game, and I remember in their their playoff game it was a problem as well. And when you're going up against Brad Tucker, who you know is just a ball hawk, and you know been mm-hmm. uh, co-named or, or uh, nicknamed by Dan Power as the the boogeyman, you know mm-hmm. I think that uh, not only did uh, he secure the own the team's own balls from their own lineouts, but he also was disruptive legally. In the mm-hmm. uh, on the defensive side of a lineup, which was really really uh, impressive. Again, going up against someone like Brad Tucker, but you had a uh, you had Manuel Diana and and Derek. Why yeah. why did you have him running out the top five? Man, I just uh, yeah, it's just you know I thought you know I know um, you know he got the he got a yellow card, which I know was uh, your system. Um, but it was at the, you know at the same time it's like he he had uh, you know sixteen carries in the game, ninety seven meters. He made a you know, it made a handful of tackles. Um, like it, it, uh, you know, the yellow card maybe kind of hurts if, if it looks like, you know, to make it look like he had a great game, but he still, he racked up 97 meters as a forward, which is, you know, a pretty impressive feat. Um, you know, even, uh, which, and just every time he touched the ball, it seemed to, you know, something positive happened for the Toronto arrows. Um, he was able to smash through some guys one time he did it. It was a little too high. So I guess, I mean, if you want to argue, like argue like De La Vega and stuff to be better, it's like I'll t- I'll take it just because maybe there's some discipline things that you would obviously want to have cleaned up there. Although the yellow was a repeat infringement yellow, so I suppose you know you could have like anybody could have gone at that point. Obviously, you don't want them to constantly keep taking that penalty. Um, but but for that, yeah, and then um, the you know obviously too the uh, the next guy the, the other guy the, the probably the best Canadian arrow in this game would have been Dan Moore. Um, obviously you know the two tries there uh put some you know he's got a try in every game four four tries in three games now so he's over the point per game pace. Um, but yeah he you know he had another uh, another solid game really makes his carry his uh his ball carries count um had sixty two meters again which. Only uh, which only trailed uh, Ben Lesage in the backs. Um, so it was uh, you know it's another and uh, you know Lesage is another guy that had a great game too. The center matchup in this game between uh, Detroit Lesage, uh, Staller, and Barton with uh, the four Canadians was also a really interesting element. Yeah, I um 
I actually really enjoyed watching uh, Dan Moore. Uh, I, uh, who am I kidding? I always love watching Dan Moore. That's never <laughs> a question with me. Um, but one thing I really liked is for a lot of the kicks that Sam Malcolm made, Dan mm-hmm. Moore was with him there. And I, I like that. Yeah, I like that good. out of a captain to, to stand there and, and support your kicker. And, and uh, if he wasn't right there next to him, you know, the camera would pan to Moore after, after the kick and he was fired up for his teammate. And, you know, one thing Sam Malcolm, you know, I don't th- – Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he's ever really scored a try for the Arrows. So he, he s- never scored an MLR try. So to see all, your captain, all his, all his points are off the boot from Malcolm, which is insane. Yeah. Um, but to have you know your captain get just as fired up about a kick than than a try, it, it's just nice to see. It's just a nice little you know tip the cap to your to your kicker who obviously had a an amazing game. Yeah, exactly. Like I mean, uh, when when I interviewed Malcolm before the season started, he said that you know a big part of the the uh, the reason that he wanted to come back to the Arrows was because of their culture. Um, in the post game interview um, on broadcast uh, for this game too, he brought up the culture again, and you know it's one of those things that you know when you see your captain doing things like that, it's like it just trickles down to the rest of the team, right? So you know, more the more and and Rumble for that matter too. They're both uh, the, you know the types of guys that you know, lead by example. So, you know, it's not, it's not a, you know, an overly surprising thing to hear like how many arrows talk about the culture of the team. And then you actually get to see it exhibited on the pitch. And, you know, it's probably a, a major reason why they're like, you know, obviously they have the, the, the skill, the talent, um, the strategy and stuff to win games, but you know, their culture is a big reason why they're three and zero to start the year as well. And, you know, watching that, uh, that post game interview, he just looks like such a happy guy. And it's like, you just want to take him home and feed him a nice cooked meal because he just, he seems so happy on the pitch and he seems like just such a great guy. So smile and Sammy, keep doing what you're doing. Um, and, you know, you mentioned something about, about this game, Derek. I said the backs really seem to click, you know, um, mm-hmm. the center duo, the fly half, you know, I think Andrew Ferguson had a really strong game after, you know, maybe not the best first game of the season. Um, I think that that uh, they're really, really starting to gel. And having uh, Levis is such a is such a fun player to watch. You know, he's very much mm-hmm. a run through kind of guy. And I know he's got the, yeah. the the quick step, but just watching him truck through some guys is is always a fun thing to watch. And I know he's he's not afraid to to you know, run through the middle of the field, which sometimes you get a winger who's always going to stay out on the wing. So, so quite, quite an interesting, like the arrows, arrows have kind of been doing, I think it showed up a couple times during this game where they kind of have been stacking both wingers on one side. So sometimes, you know, ending up with like more and livest on one side of the pitch, you know, just kind of, you kind of get the best of both worlds with what your option would be. You got the guy that, you know, you got the one guy that has the absolute blazing speed can beat anybody you know, in a foot race uh, in Dan Moore. And then you have the other guy that's like, if it's needed, he can run through, uh, run through the defense um, if, you know, if need be. So, um, and also, and then, you know, by bringing that guy over, it also usually creates an overlap. So you're left to, you know, kind of pick your poison of which one you want to deal with. Cause you know, you're most likely leaving the other guy open with the ball. And you know what? Levis has got a strong Instagram game. So if anyone wants a solid follow, they're going <laughs> to see really that. does. It's he's it's so good. Like he just it's so much fun to see what these guys do outside of of practice and stuff. So, so a lot of guitars him. involved. A lot of guitars, yeah. And you know, in, in the set piece, it, it was it was 
I think the set piece was the closest uh, part of this game. Uh, I mean, Seattle just has a very solid scrum, and it was probably their, mm-hmm. their, their best part of the game. Um, Sears yeah, Duru this... and Jake Ilnicki. I think yeah, Ilnicki it... and, and Sears Duru are really benefiting from, um, from MLR, and I think that watching Sears Duru play in MLR has really made me appreciate his game even more. So it's mm-hmm. always great to watch those two uh, work together. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, the the scrum matchup in this game was really good. I think you, I think like as as the game kind of went on, like you know, clear like I know Seattle's own three, but I still think they have one of the better scrums in the league. Um, you know they have you know they have other things that they have to work out. The seasons, you know, they can like they're, I'm not really worried about them at this point, but uh, like it, it's it was really it was a great battle to kind of watch. You know, both teams. Both teams came into this game um, with a hundred percent of their scrums won um, on the, uh, you know, with a hundred percent of their scrums won on the year, uh, and then they both kind of left this game without having a hundred percent scrums uh, of their own scrums won on the year. With you know, Seattle only came away with eighty, Toronto came away with seventy eight percent of their own one. Although Toronto did complete a hundred percent versus Seattle, significantly lower at forty, um, but. Um, uh, but that that's one of those things that kind of comes in. It's like it's a good matchup and stuff. And you know, both teams got their you know got their licks in at different uh, parts of the game. Um, so uh, it's you know it's going to be a big part of Seattle's game going forward. It's going to be a big part of Toronto's game going forward. And I think this was a you know it was a quality test for for both sides. And you know what, the lineout is getting uh, much better as the season's going along. And I think yeah. it's really interesting. When- um, with the way that the, the arrow scrum is set up, with having larger uh, locks like uh, Cellini mm-hmm. and 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 before Shepard, now you know we'll, we'll have Colby Francis with uh, the other starting jersey. Is yeah. having those guys as lifters and and having your your flankers and your eight man as your jumpers for the mostly, um, and then that it, it frees up your props, especially with Isaiah. Um, mm-hmm. having his his running capabilities, it's a really interesting dynamic to see. You know, the the locks be the, the lifters, and it frees yeah, up your props to be out in the in the backfield, uh, getting ready for something when it's when it's not a full full uh, you know near near full, the the, full the tri zone line out. Um, yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's it's good to see. It's like you can kind of see like when the arrows kind of go in the line out, they have a lot of different options just because. They have so many guys that can jump. They have, like you said, uh, you know, a bunch of players that have the option of lifting too. So it's a little bit of that, you know, if you kind of like mix it up during a game well enough, it makes it harder to kind of project who's about to go up in the air to get the ball. Um, but yeah, like even the props, Mike Shepard's been um, used a lot as like, you know, one of like the first guys that'll touch the ball when the ball's out of the line out. Uh, which has been able to, you know, gather, uh, you know, break through, break through the line, create, you know, bring the defense together, creates a lot of openings for the backs and stuff. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's been good to see that the, you know, you know, there's still some, there's still, I still think like there's maybe some things to kind of work out there. Um, but you know, it's, you know, it's still early in the season, and but uh, you know, there's. It definitely looks bet a lot better than what it did at this point in time last year, for sure. We're going to move on to the other side of the pitch, um, and, and poor JP Smith. You know, <laughs> he he had to basically take on the kicking responsibilities of of two players. 
yeah. which is which is tough. And, and you know, I'm sure positionally he can get it, but it, it must have had a mental taxing on him, knowing that I have to be ready to do do this box kick, but I also might need to be ready to get back in, and kick it out, which yeah. is, where a fly half will normally do. And you know, I think the Seawolves really need Benzema soon. Like they. And we, I had this discussion with Aaron Castro on Twitter about because I, I mentioned how I thought Dean um, hadn't been performing well, and, and out of my own ignorance, I didn't realize how young he was. I I didn't realize that uh, he was just out of college, and I think it still doesn't change my answer of I don't think that he's playing well, but it, it kind of changes the perspective in terms of well, he he's a young player just coming out of college, he'll take some time. So I was actually disappointed after learning that, that they didn't have Dean starting and they had a center in Shalom Soniola, who does have fly half experience, uh, start. So there's definitely a depth problem with fly halves. And I mean, that's going to be a problem in MLR. There just aren't enough North American fly halves. Uh, So it's definitely an interesting situation. I definitely (laughs) think that they're really missing out on on a strong kicker who can give them some more territory uh derek am i off on this like because maybe, maybe i'm just being over dramatic about the kicking no i think uh i think if you kind of watch this game it was uh you know it was clear i think that like you know a big part of the reason why the arrows won is because their, their kicking game was significantly better than seattle's um i think yeah i think you kind of fit the nail on the head there i think they really um, they really appear to need Ben Sima back. Um, Dean, you know, looks like he could be in a position to be a great player in this league, but that might not happen for another, you know, year or two, or maybe even three. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's just kind of like, that's the unfortunate situation that they're kind of dealing with right now. So, um, they, you know, if they're going to need somebody to figure out somebody that's going to be able to step up and, you know, sign of take over that role for as long as Seema's injured. So, um, ho- you know, hopefully, you know, wish him a speedy recovery. Hopefully he's back soon. Yeah. Um, but, you know, until, until then, Seattle's going to have to figure out a solution of some sort, whether that's, you know, trying different guys to play it or just, you know, I think even too, because it was like, Sonny Ula, I know, like, maybe has played a little bit of fly half in the past, but I think his skill set's definitely so much better as a center. Um, oh, yeah. And I think it kind of showed in this game, so I think it's kind of maybe, like, you know, f- maybe he's not the, the solution there. Maybe, like, I think almost it's like, you know, maybe even if Dean is struggling, it's like maybe you just kind of go back to him next week and then, um, you know, kind of see what kind of game he can he can bring and just sort of... You know, if if that's you know, if those are if those are really your options, then um yeah, like if those are really your options, then I think that's what you kinda have to go with. Uh, but I mean they also had some other injuries and stuff too. Like they're also missing uh, Ross Neal as well, right? So Yeah. Yeah, so it's like you know, obviously but I mean like they you know, obviously their centers where Neil would play was uh Barton and Hassler, which, you know, isn't exactly like you know, isn't exactly a bad no. center combination by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and they, and they also, they both played a really good game. That was probably, that could have been maybe one of the more fun matchups of the game was, you know, between, um, uh, between, uh, C- or, uh, the two, the centers there, Barton Hassler versus the Tuan Massage. Um, so, you know, I think, I think ultimately in the long run, Seattle's going to be okay, but they just have to, 
you know, I think I think there the situation of fly half is something that um, they're definitely gonna have to address. And you know, it's funny. Uh, Hassler Hassler uh, lo- looked great in my opinion. Uh, Barton looked fine. I think that Hassler definitely uh, showed uh, his mm-hmm. world class talent. Um, you could definitely see him leaving with you know rubbing the hamstring a little bit. So hopefully uh, he'll be all good to go against the Free Jacks. Um, now I have a hot take. And it's not necessarily, like, I'm not going to say this is a scalding hot take, like Spencer Jones should play on the wing hot. Yeah, um, that was. I still stand by that, though, by the way. Don't. It's, not, don't, as, it's uh... not as bad as chocolate sucks, though. Oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah, let's, yeah, that let's, one's... let's bring that one up. Sure. No, but my hot take is I personally think that Matt Turner has been the most consistent import in MLR since the beginning of the league. I think that the way he has played for Seattle since he's started playing for them mm-hmm. all the way back in 2018, I think he's been the most consistent import. I think I don't, I don't want to say he's been the most consistent More. player, but I think he's definitely been one of the most consistent imports that have played here. I've really More. enjoyed watching him play. More than, you know, the, the MVP and Brad Tucker over there. <sighs> yeah. Like on the I, same team. He's on the same team, and I know, and that's why I had to think about it because really, uh, yeah, Brad Tucker. What well, depends? I guess it depends too. Like, obviously, there's been a lot of great imports in this league. Joe Peterson was phenomenal last year, starting the season with a bit of an injury here. Um, Sam Malcolm, um, you know, he's. I think we've we've touched on his game a couple of times throughout the duration of this podcast, um, and you know, he's another. Like, I don't know. Can you go back? Like, think of a bad Sam Malcolm game right now. No, and it's true, but I, and I think part of it is, you know, again, he has an unfair, Matt Turner has an unfair advantage of playing in three seasons so far. So take that into my bias. But I think one of the other things is that not only has he played well on the pitch, but he's been a, you know, a very, very strong influence on this team. And he's been part of the community since he has been in Seattle. You know, anytime that there needs to be someone going to, City hall meetings or, or the TV stuff or, you know, uh, when the Seattle did their, you know, up the coast training camps, he was part of that as well. And I think that I just think that the level that he plays at and the speed, and I think the big thing is the speed in which he plays the game would definitely lead to some injuries and mm-hmm. and down downwards play, especially at his age. And I just think that he's been able to keep and stay at that level and has just been kind of a calming influence on the team that, you know, has really gone through a lot of changes, especially in, in, in the backs, you know, um, between all the Suleunas and the different fly halves that have played there and the different wingers they've tried, other than Brock Starley, you know, they've tried different wingers every now and then. I mean, that's just kind of the, the life of, of a rugby team. You, injuries happen, people leave for tests and, Things things happen as, as things are moving, but I think that he's just been a solid, consistent player uh, for for Seattle, and I'm going to stick with this hot take. Well, yeah, I mean, you can definitely stick with your hot takes, um, but yeah, like I guess, I mean, I don't know. I guess it depends on what your what the full definition of consistent is for you. Uh, there's obviously been you know a handful of outstanding uh, ports that have come through this league, um, you know, even like. I mean, even, I guess, I was going to I just, my brain was just like Tristan Blewett, but I guess he only played one season and then left. 
Um, so that's a, so as you say, they, you know, let's think yeah, like when so I think like, of a fullback in MLR, I think of really Matt Turner's the first name that comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, he's uh, he's been solid. I thought it was uh, yeah, I thought he had a uh, like a bad game against Old Glory, um, but he he bounced back with a pretty solid, solid effort against Toronto, even though um, his you know, his team was once once again found themselves on the losing end of. Uh, of the scoreboard, but so I have one more question about this game, and it's going to be a little bit of an odder question. So, if anyone was following the lead up to this game, um, the arrows were actually treated to a little bit of a tour on Saturday, and it was uh, to the Seattle Seahawks train facility. And it was led by LaSalle, Ontario's Luke Wilson. And, you know, Luke, a few weeks ago, if not a week ago, um, posted on social media, tagged the Seawolves, and, and was commenting on how he's excited that, he, that the Arrows were coming to play a game and how he wanted to get to the game. And they made it happen, and he, he delivered the ball. And it was all this fun stuff. And he took pictures with people. He was wearing an Arrows hoodie, and he had a, a Seattle scarf. Derek... My question to you, you take Luke Wilson, who is almost two meters, 116 kilograms. Where do you put him on the rugby pitch? Well, as I was say, like, what's he, for the Seahawks, he's what, a tight end, right? So He's I'm a thinking, tight end, he is. Yeah, but say, how tall did you say he was? He is six foot five. If you want to, well, six five, six and two, five, and two hundred and fifty-one pounds. Six five and nice hands too, and yeah, lock, lock maybe back row as long as he's jumping in the line out. Thing of that, if you want, you know, you got the, you got that height and those uh like NFL tight end hands. I feel like that's where I would want him. Yeah, having him in line out would be really nice. I like the idea of just being him an absolute menace as like an inside center. Of just ah. like him absolutely crashing the ball all the time. And again, he's 30 years old now, so I, I would definitely want like, you know, young Luke Wilson with you know, a little bit faster line speed. I think that would be a lot of fun to watch. And also having him on defense would be pretty awesome uh, with his size. But uh, I just thought that was a fun little question because I think it's, it's, it's been a really cool – a uh, week between uh, MLR and NFL with uh, two NFL players becoming minority owners with a free jack. So mm-hmm. it's always interesting to see the comparison between the two sports. Um, yeah, for sure. Obviously, there's, you know, there's some of the natural comparisons there with both of them. Being, I think, you know, obviously like, the NFL is, you know, the most popular sports league on our continent. So um, for me, I thought it was just like it was great to see, you know, uh, whether it's just you know whether it's individual players, just like Wilson, Wilson Chung, Ebner, like just kind of on their own, um, it's you know kind of embracing the sport either by you know taking the guys on a tour of the Seahawks uh, practice facility or you know full out like buying stake into one of the franchises. Um, but even that, like you know the the New England Patriots were like tweeting about the Free Jacks um, after uh, you know Ebner and Chung uh, bought takes in the team um and then you know so it's like and they obviously have a massive social media following because they're the new england patriots um and so like it's great to see that you know um i guess to call them like celebrities and stuff that those um 
like, you know, celebrities, people that are, you know, have those significantly high public profiles, whether they're yeah. you know, a professional athlete, whether they're just a professional athlete in another sport or whether, you know, if they may, may be a celebrity in a different matter. It's great to see mm-hmm. you know, some of these these people that have these high profiles that are fans of the game kind of coming out and, you know, helping to raise the profile of it even further. And I would say in two sport fanatic areas of, of the U.S., the Pacific Northwest with the Seahawks and, and like you said, with the Patriots, having these guys like, like Patrick Chun is a fantastic player. And mm-hmm. Luke Wilson, in, in his time, he has been a fantastic player for, for the Seahawks. You know, it, yeah. it, it, it really is a boon to have That's these the guys be... like, It's important, too, because it's like the, they're popular players, too, right? Like, it's... Yeah. You know, you could even see, like, how many, um, you know, just Seahawk fans look, look like they, you know, went out of their way to go, uh, you know, get a selfie with them or an autograph or whatever when, you know, he, when he showed up at that game, right? So, yeah, you know, it's it's nice to see, you know, guys, like, with that with that kind of profile and stuff. Similarly, too, I know, uh, what did Tom Brady, like, what did he, he wish the, uh, like, the Springboks good luck or something, like, during the World Cup? He did. Um, which, you know, like, that's, you know, that's one of those things that it's like it's nice to see some of these people that have these really like high elevated uh profiles on whether it be social media or just like their general fame um kind of embrace starting to embrace the sport of rugby within north america well uh moving on now with the new england free jacks uh they almost made san diego the uh Look, they look, almost made them look human, really. Um, San Diego pulled out in the end, thirty to twenty-one. How did New England do this? And and you know, it's San Diego obviously has the the, the deepest roster. You know, even with losing Nate Osberger with an injury, you know, they still still look like a very dangerous team. You know, what does a team have to do to beat San Diego, Derek? Hi, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what they have to. Do. I thought the- Jacks did really well. I thought, like, throughout this game, I thought, you know, they obviously, they kind of dug themselves a hole early um, with, uh, you know, San Diego getting up to a pretty big lead there. Um, But then I thought they just, you know, they were able to come back. I thought, you know, they kind of started playing, like, their own game a little bit more. Uh A little bit more the uh, the defense kind of got up to the line a little bit quicker. They took away some of the room from a lot of the, the San Diego players. But you know, at the the end of the game, though, it was kind of you know a lot of, uh, you know, it sort of went to like you know San Diego's you know one of the best teams in the league for a reason, and they were able to kind of regroup, and then, you know, you know right after you know right after uh, the Free Jacks scored to uh, pull that game really tight, you know, San Diego just turned it around and you know went right back at them, and uh, you know ended up coming away with a with a nine point win, so. It's uh, it's definitely you know it's going to be tough to I think it's going to be tough to beat the San Diego Legion this year. I think you know we're going to go through um at the you know at the end of this podcast as we always do, and uh, we're going to make our predictions. And I feel like for like I feel like for the remainder of the season, if you said San Diego will win their game or Toronto will win their game, you're probably going to be right. Um, you know if there's I don't see why you would pick against those two teams at this point in time. And, you know, even though the Free Jacks gave them a bit of a scare here, there's there's nothing really in that game to kind of show why they, they couldn't 
uh, you know, why they couldn't just, you know, dominate a lot of teams in this league. Yeah, and it looked like some people were pointing out San Diego didn't really necessarily put in the best performance as a team. No, yeah. It they, looks like they San had, they had chances played better to games. score. Yeah, it looked like they had chances to score and they just didn't capitalize. So yeah, it would be interesting to see how long uh, Augsburger's out for as well. Um, you know, he went down pretty early in the game, and I yeah. believe. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it'll be um, that'll be that's going to be another interesting thing to see. But yeah, it's like their their backline's so good; they have a solid scrum. Um, saw Wuching that 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 uh, you know that amazing line to you know kind of create that try. Um, it was just there was a lot of uh, yeah, there was just every you know. Even though it kind of looked like the Free Jacks were coming back, I think watching that game, it's like I never really felt that San Diego was going to lose it. Yeah. Well, you know what? In another close game, Rooney edged out uh, Rugby ATL, handing them their first loss of the season. Um, mm-hmm. Connor Keys had, had a strong game, pulling back into the starting lineup, um, yeah. really, especially around the breakdown. And I mean, the one thing with Connor Keys is he's, he's not an uh, offensive minded lock. You know, he, he's a bigger guy. He's going to crash the ball. He's not going to be uh, wowing you. But he, he had a really strong game, I find, in, in, in with the forward pack. And, you know, we'll talk about uh, what Rugby ETL presents as a team later because we'll be talking about the Arrows next game, which will be against them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so good on Rooney. Uh, the one thing I will say about Rooney is this was the first game where I, I saw Bastero play and I said, well, that looks like that's him. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. I think you know Basta Basta threw myself of him in the preseason. Looked like he was struggling the first two games of the year. Um, he definitely didn't have good games, um, especially by you know the standard that you would expect out of uh, Matthew Bastero. Um, but you know uh, versus Atlanta, though he you know he he really showed up in this match and. Uh, you know, he kind of, you know, every time he touched the ball, he was dragging three or four um, rugby ATL defenders with him. Um, a lot of, you know, he was uh, getting to a lot of breakdowns as well. He just managed to find himself all over the pitch and just made a lot of positive things happen for New York. Um, if, you know, if he can keep that up, then, uh, you know, the New York will, you know, probably uh, be a pretty good team and tough team to uh, contend with. Um, you know, he still obviously has that little bit of that versatility with the, um, you know, being an eight man in the center, which you can kind of see on some plays, especially off the, the set piece of the scrum. A lot of, yeah. men, a lot of eight men would do like, you know, the pick that pick and go kind of from the back of the scrum. And, you know, they would just look for the next defender and smash, try to smash their way through. Bastero kind of peeled off a couple of times and would maybe look for it, but he would also has, you know, Look to have a little bit of that pace to, you know, get you know make a different play, get the ball to the backs and stuff too. So it's uh, interesting. Definitely has an interesting skill set, and obviously his size just makes him. You know, uh, if he's on his game, his size alone just makes makes him, uh, you know, difficult to contend with on uh, the defensive side of the ball. And you know, I think this weekend was probably the closest weekend in terms of the games. Because the, the the next game, Nola versus Glen, uh, ooh, almost said Glendale, Colorado, <laughs> uh, was a close game too, and it came down to the to the to the last minutes of play, and you know, lots of people are talking about this controversial forward pass. You know, I'd rather just talk about the Eric Howard try. 
easy, it was, easy work for him. It was a uh, you think it was forward? It was a forward pass. Yeah. It's unfortunate, it, I think but it was so a forward too. pass. Yeah. And it sucks because, you know, Glenn, oh, I almost said it again. Colorado, those Raptors, you know, they, they, they show us why they're so dangerous. Johnny Ryberg, Mika Cruze, you know, they, they, and Chad London, they, they've got the back line to do it. And I think that they had a better game with their, with their pack. I mean, their scrum's still a mess. Mm-hmm. If they can just get the penalties down and get their scrum together, they could, be, they could go back to that level that were that in the, where they were at in the first season. It's, I kind of want to have a pity. I want to cheer for them. But not too much because they're also still Colorado. Yeah, you know, I, think, I think you kind of nailed, like, I think you kind of just nailed, like, the general assessment of the team, though, is, like, uh, you know, they have, they have, their backs are great, uh, you know, and they still don't even have Iona here yet, um, but, you know, like, they're all... And Rangers hurt. Yeah, uh, yeah, he is now, yeah, exactly, and, uh, you know, but it's still, like, you know, I like, like, Ryberg, obviously, he's still been, you know, demonstrating that he's, you know a force to be reckoned with when he gets that ball in his hand as well. Um, you know, he had, he had a, 101 meters on eight carries in this game. Plus a try. Um, you know, so it's, it, oh, it's, and made like, it's, he's just, when he touches, when he gets the ball in his hand, he's absolute animal. Um, and, you know, incredibly difficult to bring down and stuff. Mika Cruz is having a great start to his year. Chad London looks good. Um, Petzer looks good. Um, you know, there's a lot of they have a lot of really solid players um, within their backline, um, and you know, and uh, like you said, it's like Ranger and Ione. Um, Rangers played a little bit, um, you know, obviously, you know, another injury, but it, you know, Ione has got to show up at some point too, hopefully. Um, so, but like, like you said though, it's like I think, you know, it's not if there's any team in this league that you can kind of like look at and be like they have a glaring strength and just a glaring weakness it's colorado with their strength is definitely their backs and the way that they're able to move the ball especially and you know ryberg being one of the better finishers in the league too um but their weakness is you know their scrum their scrum just lets them down game after game um if they like you said if they can manage to find a way to fix that then you know they'll probably be like they're they're a good scrum away from being like a shield contender but because they don't have that, you're like, maybe they can make the playoffs. And you know what? The way, with the, way the West is looking, it's possible. They, Glendale could do it. And, you well, know, yeah, considering nobody's, nobody's found a way to win a game in the Western Conference other than San Diego. Um, and Houston. Yeah, uh, like the standings. The stand, let me pull up the actual standings here. The standings look kind of kind of hilarious at this point in time though like they're uh like it's all the eastern teams at the top yeah and it's all the western teams at the bottom in the full league standings san diego is leading the western conference at three uh three oh and oh um followed by um utah with one one and one uh houston is one and two and everybody else has no wins yes but Um, austin who we're going to talk about next has a tie and you have have i guess and one player in particular, one Canadian in particular, had a, a beast of a game in, in the draw versus Utah. And, and Derek, you were quite, quite impressed with, with Olmo. 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say he had a beast of a game. Uh, he he was well, solid. I did. Yes, yeah, no, he yeah he was solid though. It was good to see. You know, he got, you know, had some had some decent carries. Uh, you know, just uh, looked to be averaging about six meters per carry, although he didn't have that many carries. Um, as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, he had 14, 14 tackles made. Uh, he also, you know, he was among the, you know, he got to a lot of rucks, got a, you know, was able to, you know, demonstrated a good work rate, um, on both sides of the ball. And, you know, just, uh, this kind of like the, you know, the type of game that you would sort of expect out of him. Um, you know, last year he was able to definitely get his hands on the ball a lot more, came away with a lot of turnovers. Um, if he can, uh, you know, he didn't doesn't appear to have been able to register one um, in this game. But if uh, you know, if he if he can kind of, I, I think he's one of those players. That if he just kind of sticks to his game, especially on a team like Austin, where you know he he can definitely play in that st- in uh, the starting lineup every week, starting fifteen. Um, it's just you know, I think, I think I, like honestly, like just kind of like looking at Austin, I think everyone just kind of has to, you know, if everyone can just sort of like with them or whatever like um like they'll they'll be fine i think um you know they uh they'll like they'll yeah they'll be fine um not so much necessarily fine but they're not going 0 and 16 and i think you know no. they, they got a, they got a couple of other you know big players coming in um obviously uh frank uh frank halai uh made a huge impact already um you know with a try of you know he's already got a try so that was huge um, and I think it'll be good. And I think, you know, I think what I really liked about uh, Mo's game, though, is like, I think he definitely did enough to, you know, stay within that starting 15, in my opinion. He had the, you know, the second second most tackles on the team. He attempted the most tackles on the team, just missing one of, just missing one. But um, it's, you know, it's, you know, he, he was good on both sides of the ball. And it's just, I just, like, I don't know. I'm really, I'm kind of hopeful for him. And I just hope he kind of keeps plugging away. And then, you know, if he, you know, play, like, I hope kind of maybe Austin will look at this and be like, hey, we ended our losing streak at the very least. And, you know, maybe we'll, uh, you know, kind of keep a, keep a similar lineup going forward in the next week for them. And, you know, they've got, uh, you know, a, a, a couple of imports coming in soon that will really, I think, change the pace. So I look forward to seeing what yeah. the Gilgronies can get up to. Okay. Yeah, I mean, hey, you know, right now though, you know, just kind of enjoy it. You're uh, you're ahead, of, you're ahead of Seattle and Colorado in the standings, Austin. So, you no, know, that was the tell, uh, tell the, that. Uh, go back in time two years ago and tell Austin that, and they yeah, be. yeah, exactly. You'd be ahead of the uh, the Seattle SeaWolves and the Colorado Raptors. Uh, well, I guess if you went back in time. Colorado Raptors, it probably yeah, exactly. They'd and they'd be going backwards. Also, if you told people in Austin what the name of their team would be in three years <laughs> as well while they're beating, um, that would probably raise some eyebrows as well. Um, but yeah, uh, so I mean, yeah, you know, right now it's you know, it's obviously it's super early, but based on the way the Western Conference has gone, I mean, like they're like the team in second place so far right now only has one win. Um, so I mean it's still the you know the uh the west is obviously completely wide open um just because you know other than san diego nobody's really you know nobody's really come out of the gate on fire here for them so um you know there's still there's still a lot of rugby to be played in the western conference and you know eventually they got to kind of start playing at games against each other so um i'm sure you know the the wins will start will start flowing for a lot of these teams and 
you know, it's just it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But definitely, nobody's stood out in the West, so it's there's still a lot to be uh, a lot to be decided over there. You could say that the West is is pretty wild, but you know what? We're... You could, yeah. The East, on the other hand, is a little. You have the Toronto Arrows, who are undefeated at three and zero, and then you have four two and one teams, and then the the New England Free Jacks, who are the only team, only Eastern Conference team that has lost a game to a Western Conference team this year, and they've done it twice. So they find themselves at the bottom of the standings. And you know the Arrows in Week Four have their first Eastern Conference team to play against, mm-hmm. and and it looks like it'll be a, an interesting matchup. It'll be a fun matchup because they'll be playing Rugby ATL. Mm-hmm. But Derek, again with these expansion teams, I'm going to ask you this question a lot. But we've had three uh. weeks to watch Rugby ATL. Mm-hmm. What do, what should Arrows and, and the Arrows fans expect to face with Atlanta across the pitch? Because when I watch them play, and you know untrained eye so so those listening gave me some credit but i see a a very similar setup to seattle in, in a way you know a strong scrum strong on the defensive side of the ball and, and backs that tend to take care of uh, minimalizing mistakes um so am i far off or or do you think that that uh, rugby atl has something different to offer yeah, I, th- I think I think you're close there too. I think they also, as weird as it as it weird as it is to say, I think they also have some uh, some kind of Toronto arrows, kind of you know, a little bit of arrows in them. Um, especially when you kind of look at the way that their like their lineup is constructed, where there's no like, you know, you don't look, you know, you kind of look at their you know some teams' lineups, and you're like, you know, this guy's the superstar, this guy's you know the second best player, or whatever. Um, whereas like Atlanta, like, I felt like the Toronto arrows, like you don't like, there's no like glaring superstar. It's a well-rounded everybody, you know, everybody kind of pulls their weight and that's when the team is the most successful. Um, and then I think rugby ATL is kind of in the same way. They don't have that one name that, you know, just pops out as, you know, this guy's going to be, you know, this guy's definitely the best player on the team. You know, if he, if he has a bad game, then rugby ATL is probably not going to win whatever. And it's like that. I don't think they have that kind of player or, um, and like, I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination either. It's, uh, you know, they're a really good, uh, well-rounded squad. I think they've kind of shown that early on too. Um, Matt Heaton, uh, being their captain, um, obviously, you know, he's, he's a great player. That'll be, uh, that'll be quite the fun matchup. Um, you know, within the uh, the back row um, um, with Heaton there, um, so like that'll be a good matchup to to see um, come uh, come uh, you know next uh, next Sunday um, with him and between him and Rumball as well as you know all the you know, you know all the other uh, you know good players that are on um, in that Atlanta back row. I thought uh, Higgins in replacement of uh, of Heaton had a really good game. Jason Dom's also. You know, a solid player too. Um, you know, then uh, they both played well last week as well. Um, so it it should be, you know, it should be something. It should be an interesting contest to kind of see here. They obviously have a lot of really good. Their locks are really good in uh, Stefan Williamsy and um, uh, Johan Momsen. Uh, Momsen looks like an absolute stud so far this year. Um, you know, and uh, you know they have you know they have a lot of guys that can kind of finish off tries. Um, it looked like you know their fly half Coleman kind of really enjoys some uh, 
you know, enjoys the uh, the kick over the top or the kick to the wingers um, a lot. So that'll probably be something that the arrows have to kind of look out for. And it's funny you mentioned the ha- uh, the fly half because I really enjoyed their I really enjoyed their halfback uh, combination. Van Schelt and mm-hmm. Coleman are, are very exciting to watch together. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's something that I look forward to watching. Van Schalk is, is you know, a young guy coming through the American system. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he came from Life University. So, yeah, I like well, that's, that's kind of my other somewhat arrows ish parallel to this team is they kind of, you know, they took a coach, you know, like a more like a local coach, and then they, you know, they filled the roster with a bunch of guys um, from Atlanta or some of the states surrounding Atlanta. Uh, or sorry, some of the states surrounding Georgia. Um, but, uh, you know, and they, like, I think that's, uh, you know, a big part of their team and maybe part of the reason why, you know, they ha- found that success early on is because, you know, a lot of guys are familiar with, you know, the system that's in place there. And, you know, always watching Harley Davidson is fun as well. And also he just has, like, the best name in professional sports. So... <laughs> Yeah, so no, it, exactly. It's great. I think I think though the one thing that I, I did see, you know, that to be um in that Atlanta Rooney game that I think will be interesting is that um like I said, kind of it appeared that like, you know, after if Atlanta couldn't get much going with their attack, um it kind of opened up the door that like, Coleman would, you know, put a kick in pretty deep and they would have the wingers uh the wingers the center and you know chase it down. And, uh, you know, kind of try to flip some territory. And I think that'll be an interesting, like, if they continue that. And, you know, sometimes it worked out pretty well for them. Um, and then sometimes it didn't. But um, I think if they continue that next week against the Arrows, the Arrows have a pretty deadly counterattack, which they've already demonstrated a few times this year. Um, so if Coleman puts that kick up, it'll be interesting to see how the, you know, what kind of play the Arrows come back with um, because they've already turned a couple of those uh, those high kicks um, after their defense holds strong into points on the board already. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of strategy Atlanta goes for that. Now, you've mentioned his name already. Uh, Matt Heaton, you know, he's going to have some uh, tough competition going to the ARC for one of yeah. those flanker positions. You know, we automatically are just giving one to Rumble, Lucas Rumble because... You know, we've talked about how impressive he's been. He's already yeah, been no, the no, captain no, no, no. for Team Canada. You know, he's got a spot locked up. As, yeah, but, as you long know, as Lucas Rumball is healthy. Um, and honestly, yes. like... Asterix, I, yeah. he needs to be healthy. Well, but, I um, mean, yeah, but I'm thinking, honestly, like, if he's... You know, I don't want to be, like, inhumane or anything, but, like, <laughs> I would probably take, like, a 50% Lucas Rumball over, over a handful of the other options sometimes. Yeah, he, he is quite a special player. But, you know, yeah. the, the other side of the jersey, there is definitely uh, some competition that, uh, you know, we need to be aware of. I mean, you know, we got Nakai Penny that we just saw play um, mm-hmm. with the Seawolves. You know, I think Travis Larson has had a great start to the season. I mean, uh, this this past weekend he came off the bench and was, was a strong impact player for, for uh, Old Glory. Um, and mm-hmm. then, you know, you've got other guys like Peter Malazzo, who had an amazing season last year and has been just incredible coming off the bench, has been a real spark plug. And, you know, his character has definitely been shown about how he stood up for his teammates in multiple situations. So for Matt Heaton to secure a job with the ARC and get that flanker jersey, what does he need to do against his Canadian teammates and against the Arrows this weekend? 
because you know the, the Canadian selectors, you know uh, Kinsley Jones, they'll be watching the Arrows game. So oh, if, if you're if you're one of those selectors, Derek, what do you have to say in that to say what do you what does he need to do? Man, I think honestly for Matt Heaton, I think he just he just needs to kind of keep playing the game he's been playing for the last year. Um, obviously, you know the Rugby Canada is obviously very high on him. He had a very good World Cup. Um, he had a very good World Cup, and you know it's one of those things that it's like. Unfortunately for him, he's probably most remembered for the dropped try, and definitely not remembered for all the other amazing moments that he actually had, and was one of Canada's best players um, throughout the the entirety of the tournament, including making up for that drop try. Um, but you know he does. You know he he's. And, you know, he was able to take that season and, you know, Rugby Canada nominated him for, you know, player of the year over guys like Lucas Rumball and even Tyler Ardron. Um, so, you know, I think for, for for me looking at Matt Heaton, it's like you've mentioned, you know, the names of a few other of the other Canadian flankers we've talked about. You know, we've talked about a handful of them um, throughout this podcast already. But I think, you know, when you're kind of looking at that, it's like as long as like Rumball, like you said, it's like Rumball locked up. Um, but I think Matt Heaton, you know, it's it kind of his job to lose at this point in time, no? Like, I, like clearly Rugby Canada loves the guy, and you know he's been off to off to a great start. He makes you know his work rate's outstanding. He gets around to plenty of the breakdowns. Got that nice leadership ability, obviously being the captain of the team. Um, you know, he's got, you know, you know, when he's good with ball in hand as well, he's a strong runner, um, able to break the gain line. Um, and you know, there's, there's really like a lot of positive things for his game. So I don't think like going into this, I'm not saying he might, he has to do anything special to lock that up. It's just, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see him play against Rumble at the same position though. And I think I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head. I, I, I even those names that I just mentioned. I mean, mm-hmm. Nikai Penny is still young. You know, he's he's mm-hmm. still got time to grow. Even didn't really get a during... shot with the uh, the national team last year. No, either, so and Although, I mean, Travis. He looks say, even with Penny looks like he's definitely the starter in that sevens jer- in that seven jersey for Seattle right now. Oh, for sure, and I mean. Travis Lester, as much as I talk about his his strong season, I mean he didn't start this past weekend, so I think that he's gonna have to really prove and really push. So I agree with you. I think this is definitely uh, Heaton's jersey to lose. Yeah. The uh, the last the last thing I want to talk about this preview before we go into our uh, selections for the week is, and we've had this discussion before because, you know, the when it comes to the depth, I think. The one position that, that the arrows sneakily have a ton of depth in is at the scrum half position. Mm-hmm. And the l- first two games of the season, Jamie McKenzie started the games and uh, received a couple knocks and was out for this week. And Andrew Ferguson, like he always has, has come in, started, and had a fantastic game. My question to you, Derek, is, again, you're going to get bored of answering this question, but who do you think should be starting the next game? You know, if Jamie McKenzie is, 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 is fit and healthy, do you give him the starting jersey again, or did Andrew Ferguson do enough against Seattle to say, no, let's keep keep the hot hand going and, and give it to Ferguson? Oh, man, that's a, that's a tough one. I think, on, I think, you know, it's tough to say, like, 
necessarily that you guys can like, you know, for guys like losing jobs or losing their spots because of an injury or whatever. But I don't think like I think right now um, Ferguson had a great game, but he didn't have like a mind like just like an absolute mind blowing game. Right. Um, so I think, you know, which I mean, it's is one that of those what it's going to take. Is that what it's going to take for for Ferguson? I don't, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I think, I think, like, first, I think it's one of those things that it's like, this is a great problem to have. Um, choosing oh, for between sure. Jamie McKenzie and Andrew Ferguson. I just think, like, if you kind of look at the lineups that the Arrows have put through for the first three weeks of the season, there hasn't been any changes made that weren't made because the guy was hurt. Um, Like, that hasn't that hasn't happened really yet. There doesn't really seem to be, you know, the they've had, they started the same front row. They've started the same uh, second row, the same back row. Um, they've gone through the same, um, you know, halfback combinations, the same center combinations, the same outside backs with the only changes coming from when guys have gotten hurt. Um, so right. I think, I think if you're kind of looking at it, it's like just kind of my guess. It's like, I think that's, you know, it'll be interesting. One one spot that'll be interesting will be interesting to see when Spencer Jones comes back. Um, if that changes anything in the centers, um, but f- for right now, I kind of think the Heroes are kind of really happy with you know the performance that the team's put on the pitch, and you know it lo- it looks like you know that this might be what Winnaker, Silverthorne, and Cole all kind of view as the best lineup. So I think um, I don't necessarily think that means you know. Andrew Ferguson can't, you know, you know, ha- you know, pick, you know, have a great season and ultimately end up wearing that yeah. jersey by the end of the year. But I think, I just kind of think like with the way the arrows have been picking teams right now, I think they have an idea in their head of what the best lineup is. And I feel like, uh, like I just don't know if Ferguson did enough to be like if McKenzie's back, he gets that other shot because it's you know it's part of that too. Like if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it, sort of thing, right? So. Um, it's been working out really well so far to start the season. So, um, I would just kind of continue it on, and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be one of those things where Ferguson's going to have to, uh, you know, be like significant. I think he's going to have to be like definitively outplaying Jamie McKenzie, even like, you know, whether it's coming in, in relief and being like, like the arrows, the arrows, you know, attack or their ball management or whatever looked a lot better after Ferguson came in. Uh, and when we start saying that, that's when I'm going to think that Ferguson will be able to um, get that nine jersey. But for right now, I think it's McKenzie's. And you know, you made you made one comment that I want to touch on, and it was about Spencer Jones. You know, I didn't think, and it's funny because you know, in, in the week before he scored a try, I didn't think Detroit had the best game against Seattle. I think that. On the defensive side of the ball, he was very sound, but offensively, he was getting stuffed a lot. So I would be interested to see if Spencer Jones is healthy. I like to see Jones and Lesage. I think that that would be a really interesting uh, matchup. And so that I just want to throw that into people's minds. Maybe, maybe test that out as well. I know that like what you just said makes a lot of sense about keeping things consistent. Yeah, I think I think kind of like the one underrated thing about Detroit though is like a little bit of his defense. Like he had the uh, he had the third most tackles on the arrows in this game, um, and he completed most and he completed the vast majority of them. He only he missed right. two of them, but um, I think you know I think he does that really. I think he does that really well. Um, especially when you know he's going up. Against 
uh, Jeff Hassler, George Barton in the centers there as well. Um, but um, George Barton being the guy wearing his actual opposite number there. Um, and, you know, I also think part of it too is I think he has, you know, he has a bit of a voice when it, you know, comes to some of the play selection and stuff and calling out a lot of those. Um, you know, he has, uh, he has done that, played that little bit of a leadership role. And, you know, if, and, um, you know, even has, done some goal kicking in the past if it's needed so i think he does have a strong a strong boot yeah exactly and it's one of those things where it's like i think you know you kind of keep maybe keep him around for a little bit of that um he is you know he is a solid he is he's just a solid all-around player um so and but a lot of positive things can be said for ben lesage's game as well he you know he, he actually ben lesage in this one if i'm looking at this correctly yeah he actually led the team and made tackles in this game. So the two centers kind of both popping up in the top three there. Um, so it's, uh, you know, he's obviously had that. He's excellent with the ball in hand. He's helped, you know, he's helped set up some of the Dan Moore tries that have already occurred this year. I'm sure it's just yeah. a matter of time before he starts crossing the line himself. So, um, like, that's that's one of those things. It's like, I think Spencer Jones was obviously an important piece of this team last year. And but it's just that that center position is just so deep that you know as long as these guys are playing well they might make it might be a challenge to uh it's one of those things man it's like we saw last year with Cole uh Cole Keith and Morgan Mitchell it's like if you you know it's like the team's really deep man and if you are out of the lineup it's like that could leave the door open for somebody else to come and uh you know take your spot and kind of run with it so there's a lot of a lot of internal internal friendly um, very solid competition to uh, be had within the Toronto Arrows organization, though. And if we're going to go off of the Brissett rules of law, if you are playing well, you keep your jersey. So it'll be interesting to see maybe maybe if Spencer Jones settles into the bench for, for the time being uh, coming off of injury. Okay. Yeah, I'm interested to see what they do with him when he comes back. But we don't really know how long he. We don't completely necessarily know how long he's out for. Um, obviously, the Toronto Arrows providing the the great injury reports, which the New England Free Jacks have now caught on and started doing as well. But much like the Toronto Arrows, um, everybody's still kind of using the the super vague hockey terms of upper body, lower body, day to day, week to week, month to month, etc. Um, yeah, which is which I'm perfectly fine with. It's just. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I guess we'll see when the injury report comes out, if, uh, anybody's, um, being reactivated. So folks leading into week four, I currently have 12 points and Derek has 10. So I had a big week Ooh. other than the Utah Austin game. I was perfect. So Should've Derek, you are high. now behind. I should have called a tie. You know, should've I should have. Actually, that's All something right. we, should, we should implement that. If you call a tie, it's two points. Bonus All point right. if you actually call a tie. Okay. I will give you a bonus point, Derek, if you call a tie. Well, I didn't call a tie. I said Austin would win that game. But if you I, call a tie, right. bonus points if you call a tie. First game of the weekend, the Legion versus NOLA. Mm-hmm. Derek, you said it already tonight that it would be foolish to bet against the Legion. Are you sticking with it? Yeah, I think uh, I think I think so far what we've kind of seen um, in the first three games here is the Legion are the class of the class of the West, and um, I don't 
you know, Noel is a good team. This will be a big game for them. I'm really curious to see how how this game plays out. Um, there's a lot of you know a lot of solid players on both teams. Are obviously, you know, both also really physical clubs um, as well. And uh, it should be it should be a great game. But um, until the Legion genuinely starts showing signs that they have holes in that ridiculously highly loaded, talented roster, um, I am going to stick with them. And, you know, it's hard. If this, te- if this matchup was any later in the season, I'd be more willing to pick Nola. But it's, like you said, there's just very little to be left to the imagination in terms of, of uh, giving them any chance. So I will go with the Legion. Mm-hmm. Okay, next game. Old Glory versus Austin. Oh, boy. Um, I, I, you know, I, yeah, wow. This is uh, this interesting one. I think... You know, old glory. Obviously, you know they had the uh, the winning the champs since um already this season. They've been looking pretty strong. Um, Austin, you know, they're you know they they got their they ended their their losing their losing streak, I guess. Uh but I'm thinking, I'm man. Uh, it's it's a this is a tough call here. Um, like part of me is always kind of been watching these games being like old glory scrum is terrible and i usually don't like picking teams with really bad scrums um hopefully the beast can kind of get that settled down um i i feel like i want to lean old glory but i'm also like i'm not going to be surprised if austin necessarily wins this game all right well you know what i'll take austin i think that they're constantly improving and Uh, who knows if some of their some of their new guys uh, come yeah. and, and make a big impact. I think uh, Big Frank, if, if he starts this game, can really uh, be, be a game changer. So we'll see. I, I think this will be a very fun game to watch. Okay. Another very interesting game is Utah versus Colorado. What yeah. do you think, um, Derek? Oh, man. This is a uh... – yeah. Um... It's yeah. This is another tough. This is another one that I'm just got, like, yeah. So you got the the one one and one team versus three team. Um, I think you know I I'm gonna kind of stick with this one. Just on I don't again. I'm going with I don't think like Colorado scrum and Utah scrum both aren't the best. Um, necessarily. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with uh, Colorado to pick up their first win in the year. And you know, I went with Utah, so that's that's good. We're building a little bit of uh, consistency with not being consistent with each other. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Okay, another, uh, this weekend, a lot of these games are going to be a lot of fun to watch. And this one I think will be very interesting. The Free Jacks <laughs> versus Seattle. Um, I think, honestly, yeah, I think, um, honestly, kind of looking at this, it'll be, uh, I think Seattle just ends, ends the, is this, who's at home here? Uh, it's going to be a Seattle home game. Seattle, Seattle at home. Um, yeah, I don't think they've ever lost twice in a row at Starfire. So, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with them just based on that really. And you know what? Uh, not have if Tog Leader plays, it'll be a very a much closer game. But uh, 
I think that until he get, comes back, I think the Free Jacks are kind of just floating on the ocean of, of MLR. Okay, the Arrows versus Rugby ATL. Yeah, the uh, I, I said it a little bit earlier in the podcast. I think uh, what we've seen here is that the Toronto Arrows are the class of the East. San Diego Legion is the class. Um, the only, like, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting when it comes time that we have to pick the Arrows Legion game. But for the the time being, um, I don't see why you would ever pick. I honestly don't see why anybody would pick against the Arrows or why anybody would pick against the Legion. So. Um, sticking with that logic, we'll go with the Toronto Arrows. Yeah, the only thing that that, that I've seen, uh, you know, people talk about that's made me worried is is fatigue. I mean, mm-hmm. the Arrows have done lots of traveling between Texas and Vegas and Seattle, and now they have to fly all the way. You know, I know they they make stops back in Toronto, but then they have to go all the way to uh, Georgia. So it, it, there is a lot of traveling. And, uh, you know, their next couple yeah. of games, they've got Nola and, and Rooney. But I think that they, they pull out this win. Yeah, I think, you know, they they always have a lot of travel. But they had a lot of travel, you know, made the playoffs. So I think one thing I think we're kind of like sort of seeing here is, you know, Toronto couldn't string together uh, wins in a row on the road. Um, right now, I mean, I know technically the match against Houston and Vegas was a home game, but. You know, Las Vegas is not part of Toronto, so I'm going to call that a road game. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's uh, and I think you know they've now strung the other three games, three wins in a row away from Toronto. Um, and then you know, so it's something that they've never accomplished in the franchise history before as well. And I think you know they showed last year how good they are at home. Uh, like you said, it's like you know when they get to that and they have to, you know, they have significantly less travel. Everybody's you know in their own beds. Um, you know, um, during the uh, during like the massive homestand that they have coming up, um, like if they go into that and they're like well, like they were five hundred going into that, and then basically ran the table at home minus the loss to Nola. And I think if Toronto can keep stringing together wins on the road, and they give, you know, they're well above five hundred. Um, you know, when they return to Toronto, like you know, whether it be uh, you know, when they actually return to Toronto for their homestand, then um, they're going to like, they'll, they'll be a very dangerous, dangerous team at home um, with that breathing room in the standings already. And you know what? You'll see me with a pint in hand watching those arrows at home. The last game of the weekend is a, another really, really interesting matchup between the East and West team. Uh, Rooney is traveling to Houston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think, uh, Derek? Um, yeah, it's a, I think it's definitely a tight one. I think uh, you know, both both teams have uh, you know, shown uh really positive signs so far early in their game. Um Houston, you know, lost a bit of a bit of a heartbreaker to old glory last week. Um, but or um maybe not really a heartbreaker that did kind of lose by nine, but um it's uh it you know it's a it's this one will be interesting to call again i think the one interesting thing that i've kind of seen it's like i don't know do you what are you kind of backing here you're backing the the trend of the western conference teams cannot beat an eastern (laughs) conference team um i'm gonna take that i'm gonna go with rooney just to uh you know see if the uh the east reigns reigns superior for another weekend here i i think i agree with you on that one i think that 
I think that Houston will make the playoffs. I think Houston makes I, the playoffs too. Yeah. I just think that the the East right now is just, uh, you know, so much better. And I think that that Rooney's starting to come into shape now. I think that, ha- you know, depending on how Troy Lockyer is looking, I mean, you just throw Bassero mm-hmm. back into the centers. Um, but I think that they they are starting to come together as a team, which isn't good news for the Arrows. Uh, but I do think that they have uh, have the advantage over Houston. But I think, yeah, like you I, said, I, I like you said before, I think, like you said before, between um, the old Glory and Austin game, I would not be surprised if Houston pulled out a win because they they just show, have shown how dangerous they can be. I mean, they did it against uh, the Arrows, so it would no, be yeah, an interesting it, one for sure. And I think uh, I think the wet ruse is. Uh, you quickly showing that he's one of the uh they're gonna be drum halves in the league right now um i think the one sam sam windsor's uh boot hasn't been quite as consistent as we've all come to know and expect it to be um so hopefully you know if that get if he can get you know find the get the uh you know the targeting system uh locked down a little bit better uh um, they could probably probably be started. They haven't been out of a game by any stretch of the imagination at no. all yet this year. Um, obviously, a re- you know, really close, tight loss to Toronto um, with uh, Lucas Rumball making an excellent play to hold up that ball. Um, and then you know the loss to Old Glory and the, the Beast in Old Glory last week. Um, but uh, yeah, like I just, um, I think, like I said, I think they're going to make the playoffs. I just, I don't, I think right now we're kind of starting to see that maybe some teams in the are a little bit better than some of the teams in the West. Um be interesting to see how it kind of all plays out. Um, all plays out here this weekend, though. So lots of really exciting close rugby. I think that we saw that this past weekend, and I, I think we're seeing it this upcoming weekend. The parity, parity in the league is, is getting higher and higher as mm-hmm. teams are starting to come into form. I mean, you might not have said that the first, first two weeks, but I think that we will start to see better rugby and you know, when guys like Squid Rugby are, are, are keeping notice of MLR and, and talking about the level of play, it is it is very interesting. Um, yeah, well, that's absolutely. It for- it's it's you know, it's great to see that uh, you know the the kind of starting to uh, to take note of the uh, of Major League Rugby. Well, that's all we have for tonight, folks. Uh, thank you very much for listening. If you choose to, we have all our uh, episodes archived on all your podcasting listening apps and also on our our website with anchor so uh go to our twitter account at blue rouge rugby and uh find all those episodes there it goes all the way back to last season so if you're wanting to feel nostalgic feel free to listen to some of our episodes um and feel free to follow at Preset the jet for uh fantastic articles about the arrows and about uh canadian rugby and thank you very much and uh, enjoy the rugby coming up this week <laughs>